Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning as we celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord. The epistle reading that we heard just a few moments ago, especially these words. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Today, our season of epiphany draws to a close. One of the things, one of the major themes of the season of epiphany is the revelation, the epiphany of Jesus Christ for who he really is. He looks like a guy, just a plain, ordinary guy, a man. There are many in our world today that would see Jesus just that way. A good man, a moral leader, a great prophet, and nothing more. But Epiphany shows us glimpses of the glory of Jesus Christ. Every time he heals the sick or calms the storm, Every miracle testifies to the fact that this man, Jesus, is no mere man. He is God in the flesh, manifest for us and for our salvation. Near the beginning of Epiphany, we saw Jesus baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Jesus taking on the sin of the world, the great reversal, giving us his righteousness. And we give him our sin. On that day when Jesus was baptized, there was a great voice that came from, my, from heaven. This is my beloved son. And now today, at the end of our epiphany celebration, we see the great manifestation of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus on the mountaintop. Jesus with his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as Jesus is standing there, he is transfigured before them. Those of you that did a little bit better in biology than I did might know the word metamorphosis. That's the word that is used here with regard to the transfiguration of Jesus. His outward appearance changed. How did it change? Well, our gospel reading says it this way. He was transfigured, metamorphosized before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Can you imagine that? Jesus standing on the mountaintop, a beacon of light. Where did this light come from? 
Was Jesus reflecting this light from, from the sun or the moon or the stars? No. The light is Jesus Christ. The light emanated from him. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The disciples, and because it's recorded for us, we, today, get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. Come here for us and for our salvation. Before Peter, James, and John know what's going on, all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are there. How did they know they were Moses and Elijah? I don't know. Maybe they had name tags on. I don't know. But they knew it. Moses and Elijah are there. In a sense, the law and the prophets. And Jesus is visiting with them. What were they talking about? Why Jesus came. What Jesus was about to do. His passion. His journey to the cross. His suffering and his death. His glorious resurrection and ascension. To save sinners. Sinners like us. From their sin. And then just like that, Moses and Elijah are gone. Peter, James, and John see Jesus. And Jesus only. Peter, Peter who always opens up his mouth and inserts his foot, Peter has a great idea. Let's build some tents, some little tabernacles here. Let's stay on the mountain forever. I've never seen anything so cool in all my life. I want to have this mountaintop experience forever and ever and ever. I don't want to leave. But Jesus can't stay on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus did not come merely to show us who he is. True God and true man at one time. No. He came here for a job, for a purpose. Jesus' mission was to leave the Mount of Transfiguration and go to another mount. Mount Calvary. Golgotha. Where he would bleed and die. For the life of the world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Peter, James, and John to see that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the goosebumps on their skin? And not only then, but every time they thought about it. Think about some of the things that are etched in your memory. Maybe you've gone to, to a great concert and they put on a light show. They, they did some majestic thing. 
Neil Diamond singing America and the American flag comes down. Some, some life-altering moment, or at least it felt that way. Maybe you got to see in person Johnny Rogers run back a punt or a kickoff. Maybe it was just on TV and a replay. Maybe you were there sitting in the seat. You could go on and on and on with those memorable moment kind of things. But there's something about those moments. No matter how great they are, they can't be repeated. They can't be duplicated. Watching the replay or the YouTube video Not quite the same. Peter in our epistle reading for today teaches us that that's true. And yet at the same time, God's love for us is so great that He gives us something even greater than mountaintop experiences. He writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. We don't follow myths. We don't follow fables. We don't follow old wives' tales. We have eyewitness testimony. Peter goes on. For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter is talking about the mountaintop experience of being an eyewitness to the transfiguration of our Lord. I was there. I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. This isn't some myth or fable or fairy tale. This is true. Absolutely true. 100% true. Now you may be thinking... Well, that's true for you, Peter. You were there. You saw it. And as amazing as that was, I don't get the goosebumps up my spine when you tell me the story. When you show me your video or your movies or your pictures from your vacation to the Grand Canyon it just doesn't do the same thing for me as it does for you because you were there or you show me the picture of the giant fish or the banded goose that you shot it's nice but it's not quite the same Peter knows that. God knows that. And so what does God do? 
God gives us something better. Verse 19. And we have something more sure. What possibly could be more sure than an eyewitness account? Than that personal experience? What could be more sure than that? The prophetic word. The prophetic word. The word of God. The Bible. What? Yes. This is God's gift to his children. The prophetic word. The Bible. The word written down for us. Or as some of you may have heard me say a time or two over the last 25 years. The word, the word, the word. This is God's gift to you. This is God's power for you. This is God's power unto salvation. It is His revelation of Himself. It teaches us who God is, and even more importantly, how to get to heaven. We have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention. I've given you the word. I've given you the Bible. I've written down my word for you. Pay attention. Pay attention. In other words, read it. Mark it. Learn it. Inwardly digest it. Make sense? But what do we do? What do we do with the Word of God? Far too often, we don't pay attention to it. We ignore it. We have it as a symbol in our house that gathers dust and never gets opened. Those parts of the Bible that we don't like, we ignore. Or at least in our own minds, we rewrite. We don't pay attention to it. We take it for granted. And many times, we value our own words over the Word of God. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. You don't think we live in a dark place? I'm not talking about the days that are shorter now this time of the year. No, the darkness of sin, the darkness of evil is all around us. Read the newspaper, if you still do. Or read the news stories on your handheld device. Watch TV, listen to the radio, evil abounds. Everything that should be good is now bad. Everything that used to be bad, even a couple of years ago, is now good. Evil abounds. The darkness is growing. 
And Jesus, the light of the world, has given us his word to enlighten this sin-darkened world that we live in. Not just once in a while, not just for a couple of years during confirmation class. Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What does that mean? Until you see God face to face. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. We're praying to go to heaven. When will this happen? Well, when we die or when Jesus returns in his power and might and glory. Whatever comes first. Until that day, pay attention to the word of God. Read it. Pass it on to your children. Study it. Treasure it. God's gift to you. God's gift of light and life. My friends, the Bible is no ordinary book. Peter goes on. Knowing, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation. This isn't just a book of opinions. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This isn't just a book of emotions. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how God describes the process of inspiration. How He brought His Word to us. The Holy Spirit inspired the holy writers. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that the words that they wrote are the very words of God. The Word of God, the Bible, is inspired. It is the Word of God, and because it is the Word of God, it is inerrant, which means there are no mistakes. You can trust it. And because it is the Word of God, it is infallible. It is not possible for the Word of God to make a mistake or to err. My friends, God has given us this inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. He wants us to pay attention to it. Or as we heard in the Gospel reading, this is my beloved Son, listen to Him. But what do we do? We hide behind certain words or catchphrases. You don't like what God's Word says? You change it. Or you hide behind, well, it's just a matter of interpretation. You know, there was a time in the church really not all that long ago, a hundred years ago or so, when the vast majority of Christian churches agreed that the Bible was the Word of God. 
Those days are gone. They are long gone. And now, the vast majority of churches, especially in America, the vast, vast majority of seminaries that teach pastors for the churches, especially in America, deny that the Bible is the Word of God. Even some that call themselves Lutheran. And it is shameful. You don't like certain teachings? Well, it's just a matter of interpretation. You don't like the teaching that Christ's body and blood is really present in, with, and under bread and wine? Oh, it's just a matter of interpretation. You don't believe what God's Word says about holy baptism being a washing of regeneration and renewal? Oh, it's just a matter of interpretation. You don't like one man, one woman for life? It's just a matter of interpretation. You don't like a fetus? Is a real live human being? It's just a matter of interpretation. It's easy for us to sit back and point the fingers at others. People who attack and deny God's Word, the Bible. People who encourage false teachings, even from the pulpit. It's easy for us to sit back and point at those outside the walls, other churches. But my friends, unbelief is a lack of trust. What do you think it is when you're having a problem in your life and you don't trust the Word of God to have anything to say toward that problem? Having problems with your marriage? What does the Word of God say? Far too often, we don't care. We don't care to find out, or we certainly don't care to put in practice what is there. Struggling with an addiction? Alcohol, drugs, gambling, porn? Do you trust that the Word of God is powerful enough to convict you of your sin and change your unholy life to a holy life? My friends, the problem is not just out there. The problem is right here. Whenever we do not trust that the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation, whenever we do not trust that the Word of God can change sinful hearts into holy hearts and lives. Whenever we think that we have better words than the Word of God, or we need to change the Word of God to maybe be a little more attractive, my friends, this is all folly. Today, God is teaching us 
that his word is power. His word is life. His word is the forgiveness of sins for all of the times that we thought we had better words than the word of God. Or we wanted to change or manipulate the word of God to suit our own personal opinion or emotion. My friends, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. We're his sheep. Wayward sheep, of course. But the good shepherd has laid down his life for wayward sheep like us. He has lived and died and risen from the dead for all of our sins. Even our sins against his word. He lives and reigns to all eternity. Seated at the right hand of God. But he has not abandoned us. He has not forsaken us. He has given us his word. Literally. My friends. Jesus Christ is the very word of God that took on flesh and blood for you. Jesus Christ has given us His word written down, inspired, inerrant, infallible, the Bible. Jesus Christ comes to us in His word attached to the life-giving waters of holy baptism. Attached to simple bread and wine for forgiveness, life, and salvation. Even attached to the words of your pastor as he proclaims the gospel and as he declares to you, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus Christ. My friends, God has given you the Word, the Word, the Word. Hear it. Believe it. Live it. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our ears, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We stand and sing the offertory.